0: Bibles this morning, if you have them, and go and be found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We've been walking through this this letter over the last couple of weeks, and I pray it has been an encouragement to you as God teaches us through His Word. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to cover the entire chapter this morning, so it's a, it's a lengthy chapter, uh, so we're going to have to, uh, to walk through it pretty quickly, but we can do that. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, but let me read verse 16 and 17 and 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The Bible says in verse 16, Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face... Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Let's pray. God, as we look in your word this morning, Father, we believe that it is the word from God. It is without error. It is inspired by your Holy Spirit, given by the hands of men that have written this word. And the Apostle Paul, who has written specifically the text we're reading today, inspired by you, Lord, written to the church, much like ours today, a church who who needs to follow your spirit, a church, Father, who needs to hear from you. God, teach us this morning through your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Ever since the gospel was established in the New Testament, the gospel of grace where Jesus has come to the cross and has died for you and has died for me and rose again on the third day, Ever since that time, there has always been a false gospel. Please understand, anytime there is truth, there's always a counterfeit. And when it comes to the gospel the same way. In the Bible days, there was a group called the Judaizers. These were those who loved the Old Testament law. They loved the Old Testament. And they thought that their relationship to get to heaven was salvation plus following the law. So therefore, they added something to that. They added something to, the, to, to uh, grace. They added something to the gospel. There's other things in the Bible that happened during the same time. If you read the book of Acts, there was another group that were adding something to the gospel. In today's world, we're still from 2,000 years from the gospel of grace, even till the day in the gospel of grace we're still living in, there's still that false gospel There are those that believe that when you have a relationship with Christ that you must trust Him as your Lord and Savior, but you must add something else. You must add baptism, or you must add speaking in tongues, or you must add something else in order to be justified in the sight of God. Listen clearly this morning, salvation plus something else equals lostness and an eternity in hell. Salvation is by grace alone. God does not need our help when it comes to salvation. Christ, who has died for you and died for me, had to come and to save us from our sins. Therefore, we come to Him with nothing in our hands that we bring to come to Him and to be redeemed by the power of the Lord. Paul is addressing this group. It is kind of in an in-between state because as Paul is writing this, the temple is still up. There's still daily sacrifices that are going on. And Paul is trying to teach that the gospel is all about Jesus Christ and that's it. Everything else that falls after that is a result of what Christ has done in your heart. So let's define, let's talk about this gospel of grace. The Bible says, back up in verse 1 of chapter 3, the scripture says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle written on our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us Written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh. That is on our heart. That is of the heart. So the first part of the gospel of grace, the text teaches us, is that the gospel of grace gives you a changed heart. The gospel of grace gives you a changed heart. It is so much easier to measure religion than it is righteousness. Righteousness. That's why there are many good religious folks that base their Christianity on what you can do rather than on what Christ can do through you. Because we love goals. We love accomplishments. And if we can check off those things in our list, then we are right in God's eyes. No, we're not. We're right in God's eyes by His righteousness of a changed Heart. Paul addresses this in the first three verses. He said, do we begin to again to commend ourselves or do we need some others? What was going on in the Judaizers day to be somebody was to be recommended by somebody. So they would come up to the scene where they would come to the temple or go to the other, uh, other places where the churches were meeting and, and they would bring these letters of recommendation. So-and-so has recommended me to teach the Old Testament law and so-and-so has recommended me that I am right in God's eyes. Guess what? Paul didn't have any of those. And that's why they thought Paul was a false teacher because Paul brought no recommendations. Now Paul was extremely educated Well thought of, but the only recommendation that Paul had was on Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9 when Jesus Christ totally changed his life and saved him and changed his heart. The only recommendation Paul had was from the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that enough? By the way, when you stand before the Lord, it doesn't matter what somebody else says about you. It only matters what Jesus has said about you. And it comes from a heart that has been changed. That's why he says here in verse number 3 that the epistle written, it's on our heart. It's known and it's read by all men, all people. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of flesh, that is our heart. You do not measure your worth. By what people say about you, you measure your worth by what God knows about you. Recommendations can come and they can go. The main thing in your life when it comes to worth in the sight of God is what God knows about you, what's written on the inside of your heart from a heart that has been changed by the glory and the gospel of the Lord. Paul didn't need any credentials from the church, his life and his ministry were the only recommendations that were needed in his life. It's not about what's going on on the outside. It's about what's being taken place on the inside. And that's what's written on your heart we've got several youth that are going to, to Guatemala in May and they're taking a part and I had to write some recommendations for them this week and some of you have as well and, and if not, you've, you have written recommendations maybe for college or for uh, other places where you've had to sit down and, and, uh, and think about some good things to say about somebody and you sit down and you write and so and so is faithful here and they're faithful there and, and, and all those things and it's good to, to be able to, to send all of those things off and that's part of life but my friend, when it comes to your salvation the only person that matters is jesus so what's the world saying about you today doesn't matter what matters is what's jesus saying about you he's the gospel of grace and in the midst of a false theology a false gospel that has invaded the church of Corinth, that has invaded new testament times that is still a part of the enemy today It's about Jesus and a changed heart. Number two, not only is it about a changed heart, but the gospel of grace gives you eternal life. Not life temporarily, but life eternal, everlasting life. Look at verse 4 and following. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, But our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now I want you to follow along because there's some wording there that may may confuse you. But remember the point, it gives you eternal life. The gospel of grace gives you everlasting life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believes in Him should not, what, perish, but have everlasting life. The Scripture says in verses 4 through 6 that these Judaizers, those that are following the law, those that are following to the T, the law, look at what the Scripture says, not of the letter, the Old Testament law, verse 6, but of the Spirit, the new covenant, the gospel of grace, For the letter, the Old Testament law, it kills. But the Spirit, the new covenant, the gospel of grace, gives life. This is one of the most simple things in the Bible, but one we always seem to mess up. The Old Testament law was not meant to save us. The Old Testament law was to reveal to us how sinful we are and how much we need a Savior. That's why when you have the Ten Commandments, you say, well, I'm going to live the best of my life and following every one of those Ten Commandments. By the way, how's that going? We mess up. And it's not to say, oh, I need to do better to try to accomplish more of what the Old Testament law says. No, the Old Testament law was put there To point us to a Messiah who did, by the way, fulfill the Old Testament law. One and only. His name is Jesus. And to put our faith and trust in Him. And to forgive us of our sins. And He empowers us by His Spirit to walk according to the laws of the Bible. But that first happens in that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament law, if you follow the Old Testament law, it leads to death. The Bible says it kills Because it reveals how unworthy and how sinful we really are. You know, when you think about hell, hell is a a wicked place. Hell is going to be a place. The Bible says hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was never meant to be prepared for lost people to die without Christ. God loves the world and he desires that all people come to a saving knowledge of him. But because of our sin, we must have that relationship with Jesus. But there will be people in hell who can quote the Ten Commandments. There will be people in hell who live their whole life trying to follow the Ten Commandments. There will be people in hell whose life chapter is Psalm 23. And they know it and they quote it. There will be people in hell who read the Bible. There will be people in hell who are faithful in church. There will be people in hell who are on memberships of Baptist churches all across America. Hell will be filled of religious... People people who are trying to follow a system and follow a false gospel and follow a relationship with Christ plus something else. And the Bible says the Spirit, the new covenant, it gives life. And it gives life everlasting. We look at this Bible and we say this is God's holy word. We love it. We desire it. We read it. This is our life. But this book teaches us that we are sinful and it leads us more to the words on these pages. It leads us to the word of life which is Jesus Christ himself. So we think about that. It gives us eternal life. Now, keep your finger in 2 Corinthians. I hardly ever do this on a Sunday morning, but I'm going to do it today. Uh, I'm going to break tradition of a Baptist church. That's another false gospel, by the way, too. (laughs) Look at Hebrews. Uh, I'm just picking it. I love tradition. Hebrews chapter 10. Keep your finger in 2 Corinthians. I want to show you one verse, and I want you to look at it. Hebrews chapter 10. I want you to see this. and If you've got a pen close by, I want you to write in your Bible. You say you don't write in your Bible. That's another false tradition. You can write in your Bible. (laughs) All right, I want you to, there's only five words I want you to underline. In Hebrews chapter 10, I want to show you this. You're almost there. If you're in 2 Corinthians, go to your right. Hebrews 10, are you there? All right, let me read the whole verse. It's verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. All right, here's the five words I want you to underline. All of them is in verse one. Underline the word "law." It's the third word. If you've got New King James, if you got another translation, it's, it's going to be very. It's the word "law." Move on down a couple of sentences, a couple of uh, lines, and underline the words "can never." And then go down a few more lines. Underline the word make. And then I want you to underline, it's the last word in my translation, it's the word perfect. Only five words. Law can never make perfect. The law was meant to point us to the one who fulfilled the law and his name is Jesus. The law gives eternal life. Go back up if you go to 2 Corinthians When you think about the law, it is to point us to Jesus. The law, the letter, it kills. It leads to death because sin leads to death. And we can only fulfill the law in a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we can't follow it to perfection. That's why we need forgiveness of sins. But the gospel of grace gives you eternal life. Let me show you a third one. Not only does it give you eternal life, not only when you go back to the first one, it gives you a changed heart. But number three, the gospel of grace gives you permanent glory. Now I want you to follow here for a second. Look, if you will, at verse 7 and following. The scripture says, if the ministry of death... He goes back up and he grabs a thought from verse 6 where the letter kills. If the ministry of death which is the Old Testament law, if all you do is follow the Old Testament law, you will die and spend eternity in hell because you don't have a relationship with Christ. If the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, like the Ten Commandments were, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, Which glory was passing away. Now, let me stop. Where's this coming from? Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 through 35. Ask any men in our discipleship group. It was in our Bible reading this week. How ironic is that? Exodus 34 talks about how Paul, I mean, how Paul, how Moses is coming down the mountain. You remember the first time he came down and they had the calf that was being built. He threw down the Ten Commandments and they broke. He's coming down the second time with the second set of tablets. And the Bible says when he comes down that he brings the glory of the Lord and it's shown on his face and on his body to where the people could not look upon Moses. That's what's happening in verse 7. If, if, if the ministry of death was glorious so that they could not look at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance which glory was passing away how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? You see what he's saying? If, Paul, if, if, if Moses' glory, he had the veil over his face and he put that over his face because the glory was passing away. It was temporal. If that was glorious, how much more the new covenant, the gospel of grace, how much more glorious would that be? Now, the Bible goes on to say in verse 9, For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, which that's the Old Testament law, the ministry of righteousness Which is the new covenant, exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. Now here's verse 11 For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Now let me kind of just, there's a, there's a lot of glory, glorious words in that passage. It's almost like a Christmas passage. But it talks about the glory of the Lord. Paul is, remember, he's in this in-between time. Where you have the Old Testament temple. They're doing sacrifices and they're, 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 they're keeping the Old Testament law. Paul knows that's fading away. And it did in A.D. 70 when the temple was destroyed. And the, the, the Jewish sacrificial system, as Old Testament taught, was no longer in existence. Paul says that glory, it's passing away. But what is staying is that which will always be here. Not only does it give us eternal life, but number three, it gives permanent glory. It's not talking about your glory. There's only one person who has glory, and that's the Lord. But it's the glory of God in your heart. It's as if Moses is coming down the mountain, and he's received this temporal glory, When you get saved, and God changes your life, and the glory of God shines on your heart, it doesn't come and go. It is there permanent. And when people come up to you, they're not blinded by what they see on the outside. But they're amazed by what God is doing in each of you on the inside. And how it changes your heart. And how, when you think about it, it's this permanent glory. When Moses descended from the mountain, after talking with... His face, it had shone with the glory of God. If there was glory in the giving of the law, which brought death, how much more glory is there in a ministry that brings life? If you believe that you are saved by doing something, that is a temporal glory. And what Paul is trying to teach is, why would you want something part-time and temporal when Christ has made it way possible that which is permanent and full-time and free. The Lord has done that. And that's what Paul is trying to teach us here. Now look at the last one, verses 12-17. through 17. He continues with this thought. Therefore, since, we, since uh, we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Now, now that's, that's New King James 4. You better listen because I'm a man of God who's been saved. Now you better listen up. That's what he's saying. He's saying boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil on his face so the children couldn't look steadily at that glory that was passing away. He said, we're not like Moses. He said, verse 14, but their minds were blind to talking about the Jews, the Judaizers, the Jews. They were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. In other words, they can't get direct access to the Holy Room of God. Something happened at the cross when there was a veil, a temple, a, a curtain that was torn into. Yet Paul says there's still a veil in your heart because you're trying to add something to the Gospel and it's blocking your view of the presence of Almighty God. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Hallelujah for that. The the blockage is taken away because the Lord, that's the Spirit. Now you remember back up in verse 6? But of the Spirit... For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now he identifies who the Spirit, you knew who it was, but he identifies in verse 17, the Lord, He's the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, he said there's liberty. There's no burden, there's no worry, there's no I hope I do enough to get to heaven. That's nowhere in the Bible. So number four, not only does it give you permanent glory, but number four, when you think about it, it gives you permanent glory, but number four, it gives you perfect freedom. Perfect freedom. Do you realize that you have the freedom to raise your hand and worship anywhere you go? Do you realize that you have the freedom to worship any way you desire? If you want to stand, if you want to sit, if you want to shout, if you want to come to the altar, if you want to sit in the front, sit in the back, sit in the balcony, wherever you desire, you have the freedom because of what Christ has done for you. Now, what about what what somebody else may think? If that's what your desire is, you're just like verse 1. Are you trying to get letters of recommendation from somebody else? Or are you trying to listen to what God is saying to your heart? When you worship the Lord and what Christ has done for you, there is freedom. So when somebody asks you, are you saved? Absolutely. I'm free in Christ. There's no condemnation. I'm not working towards going to heaven. I'm working because of what Christ has done in my heart. I'm absolutely free. And if Jesus were to come back today, I know exactly where I'm going. And that's to be with the Lord forever, ever in heaven. No doubt about it. That's what it means to have a free heart. Yet so many Christians would be scared to death if Jesus Christ were to come back today professing Christians, let me say that. Because there's no hope. There's no freedom. And they're basing their relationship with Christ on what they did 50 years ago when everybody else came down and and, and got baptized and there's no fruit in their life. Yet you say, you know what, I remember I got saved and I've been trying to work it out ever since then. No, that ain't going to work. That's why I said hell is full of religious people. And the gospel of grace gives you freedom. It gives you freedom to worship and freedom to share and freedom to read God's Word and freedom to walk in grace. Verse 18, we're going to talk about more of this next week. But we all, with an unveiled face, not like Moses, but with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, I love this part. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as the Spirit of the Lord. Now, we'll get into some of that more next week, but I want you to focus on that word, unveiled. Our salvation is not with a veil. It's not covered. It's in our relationship with Jesus. He alone can say. One of my favorite illustrations, and I think I've used it here, and that's okay, because it teaches a point One of my favorite illustrations I ever heard about about the the truth of the gospel and everything else. The truth of the gospel can be the truth and then you've got like uh, 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 Islam and all these other religions. But it can be the truth of the gospel plus people who are in churches today in America. In denominations who believe that you're saved plus something else. And there was four or five people, four or five different religions that were sitting at the base of a mountain. And they were asking each one of us each one that was there, that their desire is to go to the top of the mountain. And when they get to the top of the mountain, they've succeeded and they're in heaven. So one of them said, well, how are you going to go to the top? Well, i tell you what I do. I pray every day. I pray three times today. I face a certain part of the world and and I pray and and I visit certain places and I do this and I do that and I'm going as fast as I can up to the top of that mountain and I'm going to do all that I can to get to the top. And then another one says, Well, let me tell you what I do. I, I fast every day. I've given away every dollar that I've ever gotten, and I, I'm walking up to that mountain, and I I, I can quote the entire Bible and, and I'm a member of, of fifteen churches and, and, and I'm working as far as I can all the way up to the top of this mountain. And then the third one says, Well, let me tell you what I'm doing. I'm a member of a Baptist church. I've been baptized. I teach a Sunday school class. I've got a 50-year Sunday school perfect attendance pin. I've always been a giver. I help with ushering. I do everything that I can to get to the top of the mountain. And the other guy said, man, you're doing a whole lot. And it comes to the fourth guy. And the fourth guy says, how do you know when you get to the top? And nobody could answer. He said, let me tell you what I'm doing. I came to a place in my life where I realized no matter what I did, I'd never get to the top. And I came to a place in reading the scripture where I said the guy who's on the top of the mountain came down to me. He died for me. And he forgave me of my sins. And he changed my life. And we're on this journey together, whether it's on the top of a mountain or or walking down the seashore. I've got this person called the Holy Spirit that the Bible says comes alongside me and walks with me every step of the day. And if my last step is on this earth and my first step is in heaven, we're just going to go straight into heaven. And that's where we're going to be every day. And I walk in faith and confidence and peace because of the gospel of grace that came down to me and saved each of us. Friend, have you been saved? It's Jesus Christ, and that's it. He changes your heart. He takes off anything that is unnecessary, and he, he, he forgives you, and He makes you white as snow. We don't need the approval of man. We need the approval of Jesus. And I don't want you to spend eternity in hell knowing that you sat at First Baptist Church week after week because you were basing your salvation on something that happened plus something else that's not a relationship with Christ that's called legalism and that's exactly what Paul was addressing in this text I ask if you would to bow your head all across this room as we lead into an